This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, July 13th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Matt Hoish. In today's headlines, Governor visits San Miguel County. A state of the town address. Telluride pushes ahead on construction mitigation. And a mountain weather forecast. Brown Dog Pizza is bustling when Governor Jared Polis makes his entrance. Polis made a campaign stop in Telluride this week, along with visits to Norwood's Pinion Park neighborhood, talking about community housing and discussions in RICO regarding wildfire management. Uh, Look, we live in a great state uh, here in Colorado, and together we've gotten so much done over the last three years, and it has been the honor of my life to be able to serve as your governor. Polis is running for his second term as governor. He says this election is about moving Colorado forward rather than backwards. Moving forward with protecting uh, a woman's right to choose, moving forward with uh, opportunity for everybody, investing in our schools, and making life more affordable in Colorado, reducing costs. We got a hundred things done that are over the next year that will really save Coloradans money. $750 check going out to every person, removing sales tax from items like diapers, uh, tax credits for uh, low and middle income families. So I mean, just so many things, but there's a lot more work ahead to help make Colorado an even more amazing place. While a campaign focused on tax breaks and refunds may sound like a more traditionally Republican message, Polis says the key is looking at who is saving money. Too often Republicans try to save money for the wealthy and the big corporations. What we're talking about is saving money for everyday Coloradans, right? Uh, And and that means reducing costs, reducing sales tax, reducing property tax, things that really affect everyday Coloradans. When you're around the kitchen table figuring out your budget, uh, we know that there's uh, inflation nationally. You know, what the state does can affect what that is, but what we can affect is what we are going to do to reduce your costs every day and every month. And that's really what our agenda is focused on. Outside of strict economics, Polis says his priorities include helping to make housing affordable for Coloradans and keeping them safe when it comes to wildfire. Really, with the hotter, drier climate across the American West here in Colorado, we really need to up our game on fire preparedness. We just rolled out additional support for community efforts around reducing wildfire risk and risk mitigation, taking down trees near homes and communities. We also have uh, leased and purchased additional state firefighting capacity, and we're working with all of our volunteer fire districts to make sure that they have what they need to keep people safe no matter where you live in Colorado. Acknowledging the national stage, Polis says the state itself is more important than ever in protecting freedom. I mean, freedom that we took for granted uh, because of the Supreme Court are being eroded. And whether that's a freedom to marry who you love, uh, control over your own body and your own reproductive health decisions, these are things that we now as a state need to say this is a basic value. We, we celebrate and protect our rights as individuals to make the choices that we, that we want to make for our own lives. Governor Jared Polis has served as Colorado's governor since 2019. He is set to face off at the polls this November against Republican nominee Heidi Ganahl. Mayor Delaney Young provided the second State of the Town address for 2022 at Tuesday's town council meeting. The following is the address in its entirety. I had every intention of not mentioning the C word today. I truly did. 
It seems my entire tenure is being plagued by an elusive nemesis that far outshines the likes of Lex Luthor. So here it goes. COVID has reared its ugly head again. Cases everywhere, including here, are dramatically on the rise. We have the tools to protect ourselves and more importantly, the most vulnerable among us. Please remember to be respectful of those who take extra precautions. Someone's life may depend on it. Yet, life in our Box Canyon has seen a return to things we've sorely missed for the past two years. Mountain Film offered in-person viewings and maintained the online version they adopted to expand their platform. The Telluride Balloon Festival was back, and though the wind prevented the glow on Main Street, the community rallied and enjoyed the evening nonetheless. The Telluride Bluegrass Festival was restored to full capacity with a little extra to ensure that locals had the opportunity to attend. Our 4th of July parade was revived with its horses and motorcycles, kids and adults with super soakers, corgis and acrobats, and of course, citizens expressing their right to free speech and assembly. No Telluride 4th of July parade would be complete without that. With the return of our renowned events come the crowds. From what we are hearing and seeing, there is still some struggle with filling staff positions at local businesses. Town government is experiencing the same difficulties. We have several positions that need to be filled. Thankfully, we have been successful in filling two crucial roles recently. The town welcomed a new town manager. Scott Robson joined us in April and he hit the ground running. If you have not met him yet, you soon will. Last week, we selected someone to fill the position of public works director. That could not have been an easy decision by staff as both of the two finalists were quite impressive. We cannot ignore that the public works hire comes with a significant change to our staff. Paul Rood has worked for the town of Telluride for 34 years. That kind of tenure with a singular organization has become altogether uncommon. And we should recognize the magnitude of that service. We also want to recognize our town engineer, Joyce Huang, and our facilities maintenance coordinator, Marshall Flick, for their many years of service. We wish all of them the best as they move on to new adventures and opportunities. As we continue to grapple with problems that seem insurmountable, the town council is taking bold actions in an attempt to expedite results. After more than a year in the making, we adopted a fully overhauled climate action plan. We opted for rather aggressive goals, 
in order to respond to the global call to arms. There will be discussions very soon about adding a staff member dedicated to implementing that plan. We have joined the Town of Mountain Village and San Miguel County, among others, in planning for the future of the gondola. This is an amenity that supports our entire community, and we are looking forward to how these meetings unfold. The long-awaited Sunnyside lottery was held almost two weeks ago. It was a day full of excitement and for some, disappointment. 172 households were vying for 25 units. Our work on the housing front is a constant battle and we continue to employ new ideas to accelerate the provision of workforce housing as much as we can. Those efforts have not been without their own conflicts. In an effort to honor the honesty that I have always promised you, I want to tell you all that I really struggled with this composition for today. There is a palpable energy of discomfort in our community and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I think I finally figured it out. It's an overwhelming sense of grief. It's a grief shared by an entire community in one way or another, and for many different reasons. We continue to lose friends and family at an alarming rate. As coworkers move on to other things, that upheaval can be unnerving. When you are stressed to the point of breaking, simply trying to keep up and survive, it is crushing. People we've known forever seem to be moving away in droves. It's been difficult to keep track of the loved ones who have died in the past six months. There are consistent conversations about the loss of our sense of community. All of these things are cause for grief. One of the stages of grief is anger. There are a lot of angry people right now, which is not surprising given the state of affairs in our country and the world. How can we help each other navigate this step and the others in this grieving process? I think we model good examples of those that have come before us. One of the more recently departed was someone who spent a significant portion of his life here in Telluride committed to making our town a better place. That man was Stu Fraser. He was a council person and mayor for Telluride for 14 years. If you have not served as an elected official or in a similar leadership role, it is difficult to truly comprehend the demands and strain you face on a regular basis. Stu faced it all with a positivity that should be applauded and emulated. Stu was respectful of what was best for the entire community. 
even if he may not have fully and personally agreed with the course of action. Of course, if you are a spouse, partner, or loved one of that person, you have a front row seat to the pressures they feel. I want to offer a sincere thank you to Stu's lovely wife, Ginny, who supported his desire to be a dedicated public servant to our community. And thank you to all of the others who support us on a daily basis. Let's work on lifting each other up. Let's have real conversations. Let's look to Stu's positivity and dedication to our community as an example of how to communicate and collaborate with each other while also respecting one another. Thank you. That was Mayor Delaney Young providing a State of the Town address at the Telluride Town Council meeting on Tuesday. Telluride Town Council has agreed to several changes to the town's construction mitigation plan manual in an effort to reduce impacts from local construction. Contractors will be required to post signage on site with several pieces of information. Would include contact information, construction hours that are required by the mitigation plan, and then a link to uh, the parking and access and staging plans that are submitted with the building permit. That's Planning and Building Director Ron Quarles, briefing council this week. Parking passes for workers would also be limited to the hours of construction. Currently, Quarles explains... There's no time limits on the passes. They're typically, uh, in some cases, construction vehicles are parked overnight, and we're trying to avoid that. Town Quarles explains also wants to tighten their requirements on parking plans. In some cases, he says, physical parking plans aren't even submitted. We'd like to change that by requiring that the parking plans include all of the details of where the Six maximum vehicle, construction vehicles will be parked in proximity to that construction site. We'd also like to prepare a map that identifies the, the roadways that are probably not adequate for construction parking. In other words, the parking plan would only identify parking that's permitted on acceptable roadways. Parking plans would also have to address existing parking passes already approved in the same area. It forces the contractors to coordinate with the other contractors in that area. The changes would also prohibit construction on major holidays. There was also a suggestion to require a public notice letter for those within 150 feet of construction sites, but council agrees the signage would be sufficient notice. The town's Planning and Zoning Commission also made several recommendations, including increasing parking pass fees and requiring job boxes on site. Council, however, largely wants to focus on the changes outlined by Quarles before trying anything else. Here's council members Adrian Christie and Geneva Shawnette. I don't really feel strong that, strongly to, that we should pursue any of these until we've gone in-depth from that parking perspective and then have a season under our belt and from that can respond with some other suggestions that come from staff and the industry. Um, I don't want to just like throw spaghetti at the wall hoping to create change. We should just see how this first first stab at it uh, affects the outcome before we 
start requiring things that's, that we may or may not be able to enforce yet. Though, Council is interested in exploring more specific guidelines for right-of-way obstruction permit noticing and further limits on parking permits for construction crews, as well as options for contractor and subcontractor trainings. Telluride Town Council plans to adopt the construction mitigation changes at a future meeting. With summer about halfway through, the town of Telluride continues to see strong tax revenues. Briefing town council this week, town manager Scott Robson notes the real estate transfer tax continues to be strong and sales tax continues to hit at or near records. But, Robson adds, the wider economic picture is a bit mixed. The nuance there is uh, if you're watching the the numbers that uh, Telluride Tourism Board uh, releases on their peak sheets is that lodging occupancy rates are, are down and, and down somewhat significantly from a percentage standpoint over last year. Other travel markets, Robson notes, have opened up and there's pent up demand from last year. Which is not a not necessarily a bad thing. So we are getting a little more elbow room than we were around here last year. Mayor Delaney Young says the local economy is in a strange place. There are several restaurants who struggled sorely last year for f- filling their staff. And now they're having people come to them and ask for a job. Yet there's others who still can't fully staff. Mayor Pro Tem Jesse Ray Arguelles adds she's heard from business owners in town that they've had lower numbers. But she thinks council should wait until the end of the summer to further discuss how to respond to this summer's numbers. We just came off of two years of COVID. Prices were inflated, but we're seeing less people. I think this might be a little more of a normal summer um, than we've seen the last two years. But I don't think I don't think we should put the cart before the horse at this juncture. Council agrees they should reflect on the local economic situation at the end of the summer. The Sunnyside Lottery was less than two weeks ago, but the town of Telluride is already gearing up for more affordable housing projects. At a Telluride Housing Authority subcommittee meeting on Wednesday, project manager Lance McDonald gave an update on two developments in the southwest corner of town. The first is Lot L. That's the current Shandoka parking lot. The town has selected Cushing Torrell, a building design team, to work on the project. Very, very excited as came through during the interviews to do the project. According to McDonald, the firm will begin meeting with the subcommittee on a monthly basis and plan to have a design finalized by November. McDonald notes Cushing Terrell will hold a number of public meetings to get input on the design from the community. The second project is phase two of the Virginia Placer development. The goal is to have a small number of units just next to the town's public works building. McDonald says the project is held up a bit due to building costs. We have preliminary cost estimates. They're high given what was going on. That was a, uh, a while back, a month and a half ago or so. We've asked them to re look at that. And that's what we're doing. And then if those come back a little bit more favorable, then we'll do the final design stuff with the group and, and proceed. But that's where we're at on that. We're kind of in a budget situation. We're trying to improve it. So you guys are looking at a little bit better picture. McDonald adds, if numbers come back favorably, Virginia Placer Phase 2 could still break ground this year. The Telluride Americana Festival kicks off this Thursday, July 14th, with shows every night at the Sheridan Opera House. 
Thursday, there's Ryan Culwell, John Randall, and Emily Scott Robinson. Friday features John Fulbright and Chris Knight. Saturday, hear Hayes Carl and Radney Foster. And Sunday, July 17th, soak in William Beckman and Jack Ingram. All shows are at 8 p.m. with doors at 7 p.m. at the Sheridan Opera House. More information on the 2022 Telluride Americana Festival is available at TellurideAmericana.com. Colorado River water managers are facing a monumental task. Federal officials have given leaders in seven western states a new charge to commit to an unprecedented amount of conservation and do it before a deadline later this summer. Without major cutbacks in water use, the nation's two largest reservoirs are in danger of reaching critically low levels. KUNC's Alex Hager has more. Bureau of Reclamation Commissioner Camille Kalim-Limtudin came to a Senate hearing with a prognosis, a goal, and a threat. First, the prognosis. There's so much to this that is unprecedented, and that is true. But unprecedented is now the reality and a normal in which reclamation must manage our systems. A warmer, drier west is what we are seeing today. The Colorado River's big reservoirs, Lakes Mead and Powell, are at record lows. To keep them from dropping further and setting off a region-wide water crisis, Tudin set the goal. Between two and four million acre-feet of additional conservation is needed just to protect critical levels in 2023. To compare, the entire state of Colorado uses a little more than two million acre-feet from the river each year. Tudin finished her remarks with the threat. If the seven states that rely on the Colorado River can't cut their own use, the federal government is prepared to do it for them. She's giving them 60 days to craft a deal. I think this call is to everyone. Colby Pellegrino is the deputy general manager of the Southern Nevada Water Authority, which supplies the Las Vegas Valley. If you're using Colorado River water in any way, you should be internalizing how you can help solve the problem. Agriculture uses the vast majority of the Southwest's scarce water supplies. Pellegrino says cities like Las Vegas have been able to grow in population while keeping their water use in check. And she says even if spigots in her city, Phoenix, and Los Angeles are turned off, the river still has a supply-demand problem. You can get rid of all of the municipal use and you still don't get to two to four million acre feet. So um, it's going to require all sectors to participate. Cajoling all the basin's big water users to participate is no small feat. Many still feel like their water rights are legally protected and doubt that the federal government really has the authority to force conservation on the states. What we have observed as the deep risk is now no longer on the horizon, no longer at the curb, it is now at the front door. Chuck Collum leads the Upper Colorado River Commission. States in that group, Colorado, Wyoming, New Mexico, and Utah, have a history of struggling to commit to specific conservation goals when it comes to the river's management. Several have projects in the works that would end up increasing their reliance on its waters. And we should manage everyone's expectations on where the solutions can come from. Since the lower basin has the most significant volume of uses, then it makes sense that that's where most of the solution comes from. 
states in the Colorado River Basin have taken longer to come up with plans to conserve less water. So a plan to save millions of acre feet and just 60 days to put it together? Sarah Porter says that'll be really hard. She's a water policy researcher at Arizona State University. I expect that there will just have to be action by the Department of Interior as was essentially threatened. Even though the amount of water is tremendous, Porter says this announcement shouldn't come as a surprise. Hotter and drier conditions have plagued the basin for more than two decades. She says if water managers had started cutting their use earlier, this might have been avoided. It might have been easier in years past to hope maybe, yeah, it's been terrible for the last two years, but maybe next year it will be better. Now it's been terrible for three years. Maybe next year it will be better. Well, we're finally at a point where we can't say that. Porter says it'll be hard for states to make plans without some more clarity on the actual amount of water they need to conserve. The bottom line? Demands for the Colorado River's water need to shrink. But figuring out who gets less and when is up for intense debate this summer. I'm Alex Hager in Boulder, Colorado. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for scattered showers and thunderstorms tonight with a low in the mid-50s. Thursday expects showers and a possible thunderstorm with a high around 70 degrees. Thursday night should be mostly cloudy with a low in the mid-50s and a 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms. Friday calls for showers and thunderstorms with a high around 70 degrees. Friday night should be mostly cloudy with a low in the mid-50s and a 50% chance of showers and thunderstorms. This has been the news for Wednesday, July 13th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Hello, everyone. This is John Duncan with Telluride Angler inviting you to Troutapalooza, Thursday, July 14th at 6 p.m. at High Pie, right here in downtown Telluride. It's all about supporting Trout Unlimited and also about supporting river restoration on the San Miguel, Dolores, Uncompagre, and Gunnison. But it's also a great opportunity to meet the people who are actually conceiving, engineering, funding, and executing projects here in the Telluride area and throughout southwest Colorado. Doors open at 6 with food and drinks and a great silent auction. And that's followed by a discussion of conservation projects, both present and future, um, uh, it's led off by Chapter President Joel Evans and also featuring the town of Telluride's Chris Chafin and David Blauk and Telluride Unlimited mine remediation expert Tanner Banks. All of this leads up to our renowned live auction featuring local artwork by Steve Chechu, guide service trips from Telluride Angler, and industry-leading equipment from Scott, Sage, Winston, Abel, Ross, Hatch Reels, Nautilus, Sims, Patagonia, and more. Tickets are at the door for $50 at High Pie, or you can buy them online at troutapalooza.org. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you Thursday night, 6 o'clock at High Pie for Troutapalooza. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues. 